So yes, I am the fill-in today, and uh, I'm. <laughs> thanks, Sarah. I'm going to talk a little bit today. What I'd like to talk about is how to find your way home. That's it's kind of comical. If anybody knows me, I have a special skill at actually at being lost. So um, some people, <laughs> some people think that they, you know, they have a special skill in directions. I have a special skill in getting lost. And so the fact that I'm talking about anything that has to do with directions is comical in itself. But a story for another time. But I will say there, I actually was able to make a two-hour trip from Palm Springs to see my husband in Redondo Beach over four and a half hours. All I can say is East L.A. is scary, just like it looks on TV. <laughs> and I actually found my way back to him. I'll tell you when I did, boy, it felt really great. So anyways, coming home. The thing, so fortunately I won't give you directions, but I'm going to talk about your emotional home. So many times um, we, we will say, oh, I'd love to be able to go home, you know. But a house is just a home, is it not, without the loved ones in your home? And... Uh, There was a period of time that uh, my husband, Jake, and I, when we were dating in college, we actually knew each other all through college, and we were college sweethearts. Um, We didn't start dating until our last year. He finally matured, and then I was able to, oh. (laughs) But uh, for a period of time, for about six months, we were apart. And during that time that we were apart, it was grueling. Okay, has anybody ever done a long-distance relationship? Okay, you know what I'm talking about then, right? It is heart aching to miss that person that you love, that feels so important to you. For six months, it's felt like six years. But during that time, and remember, okay, I'm dating ourselves, there was no Skype, there's no texting, there's no emailing. So we had to do things all the old-fashioned way. We had to do it through love letters. And we sent a lot of love letters. And I remember... Many times going to my mailbox and waiting to see what is Jake going to bring to write to me and is he going to answer my questions? And the most important part, how is he going to sign the letter? I love you forever. You're my best friend. You know, you're my home. How is he going to start it and how is he going to end it? You know, love letters, um, those are the things that are when we miss our, our family and stuff, just being able to hear their voice. Um, see them. I tell you, it's much easier to stay in contact now with the Skype and different things. But that can start just to soothe your heart. Uh, compared to being able to connect with your family, I'll tell you, there's nothing like a homecoming, right? I would call it a little piece of heaven here on earth. I got a video I want to show you. Ladies and gentlemen, tonight we welcome to the swamp the family of Gainesville native officer Christian Dinkins, who is currently serving in Afghanistan. At this time, we ask that you join his family and please direct your attention to the Gator Vision Board for a special message. I'm Chief Warrant Officer Christian Dinkins from Gainesville, Florida, currently serving on my fifth tour in Afghanistan. Gator Nation, the best fans in the country. I wish I could be there with you to cheer on Florida for a Gator victory, to join arm in arm, sway side to side, and sing We Are the Boys from Old Florida. To my wife, my children, my mother and father, I miss you, I love you, and I'll be home soon, I promise. Go Gators. Gator fans, please help us thank Christian Dinkins for his service by once again welcoming his family to the swamp. And now, 
help us welcome home the Gator, the son, the father, the husband, who has just completed his fifth tour in Afghanistan, Officer Christian Dinkins. Welcome home. Is that the Gator best? Fan. Oh, you, you see the rest of you went to on YouTube. I know. I cry every time I watch those, those homecoming ones. Those just are, are just so moving. Uh, the, uh, I, in fact, I was when I was looking through them, I was trying to find some different ones, and I especially like that one, just how they set it up. But, oh, my goodness, what a moving thing. Is it not to see um, children reunited with their parents and, of course, uh, um, partners reunited with themselves, husbands, wives. It's just a very beautiful thing to, to see. So as a therapist, one of my favorite things as a therapist is helping people find their way home. Uh, the couples being able to find how to love each other again, to feel safe, to feel comfortable, uh, children and their parents, um, families, and being able to come together. And um, I really believe this is the work of not only our families and our relationships, but also the work of the church, how to be a home, how to be a place of peace and comfort and love and connection with one another without conflict, (laughs) easier said than done, is it not, Um, uh, but where peace and love predominantly reigns. That in itself is a hard task. I find that impossible to do, quite frankly, without uh, having Christ uh, and his love in my life. Uh, research shows that actually our brains don't know the difference between emotional pain and physical pain. So when we actually lose somebody in our life, it would be equated to maybe losing a severing of a limb. This is why we'll see that obviously, if you can you imagine going through life, you know, and you have no antibi or no pain um, killers for your uh, surgery. Same thing for people that go through emotional trauma. Sometimes people are needing to be medicated to be able to experience just some relief from that intense pain. So what do we do when we don't have that? That's the one thing that I find so much is that we struggle to be able to know how to find our emotional, emotionally regulate or to find our home, not only with ourselves, but with other people, a community. And when we have a loss, the loss of a partner, child, parent, marriage, job, church, um, pet, I just experienced several of those this last year. And so this is very pertinent to me. I'm not even going to talk about some of my personal year, but all, all, suffice it to say, the Dean Hill family is glad that 2015 is behind us. We're into 2016, but we, I lost my dad. Jake lost his grandmother. Um, we, uh, his parents both had heart attacks in the hospital. My mom had um, uh, almost a stroke, with, and I had to help her re- rehabilitate and help her go through a, a difficult surgery. Uh, at the same time, I was caring for my dad. And it was so intense. But I tell you what, what I'm going to talk to you today is really how to find your way home. And I'm not talking like, oh, this just sounds good. I'm talking from personal experience. (laughs) This is how I kept my stability. Many times I felt like I was just losing it. I felt like I was just going crazy, not being able to keep my emotions stable. And I had a lot of empathy for the people that I worked with. 
But when we get feel a loss and when we uh, feel this disconnect and this sudden trauma, we um, also feel lost as a person and we also can get very confused. When we get confused, we are prone to being controlled and we're even more vulnerable to being manipulated. And we can be controlled and manipulated by guilt, by bitterness, by um, uh, unforgiveness, hatred, contempt, rage, a lot of things. And when we feel those things a lot of times and we don't know how to get our way back home, this is where we do desperate things. We get caught up in addiction. We get caught up in um, really uh, immoral behavior. We get caught up in doing things that we wouldn't normally do. It's like out of our character, out of our norm. And um, there was one gentleman I was talking to, and I, he had been married for about 25 years. And he had married his high school sweetheart, and they had known each other since fifth grade. And they had several kids together. And I said, how did this happen? How did one day you just wake up and this not happen? And he said, you know, Jennifer, he said, I stopped coming home as much. I started working more. And he said, and this, oh, this stuck with me. And he said, it wasn't good for a marriage. We didn't roll well that way. And I was thinking, nobody does, but okay, right. And he said, she just kept getting madder and madder. And I'd ask her what was wrong, and she would just get mad at me. And there was a lot of conflict. So you can already hear what's happening, right? A loss of home. And he goes, I'm working harder to provide for this family. I'm right, trying to run this business. And it was more work than I realized. And she's not showing appreciation for me. So one night she got really mad and he goes, I just walked out, didn't come back. And he said, I found a girlfriend and we have a home together. And he goes, and she's happy. I thought, wow, he found his home. If that doesn't speak to the importance of us finding a place of peace, finding a place of rest, finding a place of connection, he walked away from something that was really precious to him simply because it was too much for him to bear and he didn't know how to come back. Sometimes I wish we could do like Dorothy, <laughs> click our little red shoes and go, there's no place like home, there's no place like home, and find ourselves immediately home. But ironically, this is something that's just given me a lot of peace in my own life and, and that I've been able to share with the people that I work with, is that we actually do have that. It's children of God. And quite frankly, my philosophy is if you are a living, breathing individual, you are a child of God. We are a creation of God. We were here because we were made by God. It's up to us whether or not we want to believe in God and we want to take him into our life as our Savior and King. So one of the things that I realized is that we have a home everywhere I go. And you never realize how much you have that home until you go through trauma, until you get things ripped out of your life that you suddenly that you wouldn't normally have uh, ripped out of your life. And you, you don't learn that dependency or that security or that connection until you go through, through times like that. Bob and Barb, they were a couple that uh, I worked with too, and they'd been through several different uh, marriages apiece. And when they came together, they finally felt like they found their home. There was just this peace with them. You know, the kind of lovebirds when they look at each other and you go, oh, that's so sweet. Well, I'd sit there looking at them thinking, when's it going to break up? When is it not going to last? You know, when is it going to be basically some conflict that comes in? Well, sure enough, uh, about a year into their relationship, there was just increasing conflict, a loss of, loss of peace, loss of connection, loss of stability. And they had a very hard time connecting. They couldn't even look at each other in the office. 
And we would work through some things, and then the next week it would get worse, and you know, next time I'd see him, it get a little bit worse, and they get better and get worse, until finally you could tell it was just this roller coaster, and they couldn't take it. And I'm like, I get it. We've all been there, not only in our relationships, but in life. And I just said, you know what? And they both had a faith. They both believed in God. And I said, I'm going to give you a challenge. Because they said to me, they go, Jennifer, we, I don't think we can take it. We got our blended families. They both had ex-spouses um, that were just kind of nightmares to deal with. And they, when they came together, they felt like we finally found somebody that loves us. And the fact that we aren't loving each other, aren't connecting, this is just terrifying to both of us. And we don't want to go through another relationship where we're hating each other. So I said, before you make that decision, I can't tell you what to do. Uh, this is your life, and this is between you and God. But I want to give you a challenge. And I call it the three-day principle. And the three-day principle, and I got it out of a Hosea 6, 1 through 3. And I got it before I went through this last year. And I know it was God saying, this is how you find your way home. But here it is, and I'm going to read it here. Hosea 6, 1 through 3. Come, let us return to the Lord. He has torn us to pieces, but he will heal us. He has injured us, but he will bind up our wounds. After two days, he will revive us. And on the third day, he will restore us that we may live in his presence. Let us acknowledge the Lord. Let us press on to acknowledge him. As surely as the sun rises, he will appear. He will come to us like the winter rains, like the spring rains that water the earth. Three days. Isn't that cool? So I started trying this. I go, huh, three days. Well, I'm going to just take this literal. You know, you, see, you, know, you can't take everything literal in the, in the Bible, but I thought I'm going to take this little. First day, I'm going to really concentrate on returning to the Lord and talking with him. And if you've ever been on trips, is that not the hardest thing, is being able to figure out how to come back home, okay? There's movies written on that. Some, that is our hardest thing, is how to come back home. It's, you know, you, things can happen, you know, travel challenges happen, different things happen. But being able to find our w- way back home, and for me, if you're directionally challenged, it's especially hard. I don't care where you're at, and I don't care how many times I've driven that path. I could still get mixed up. By the way, I like to call those unguided tours, <laughs> But finding your way back home, that actually requires the most action and faith and step on our part. And that's the piece I'm going to focus on more today. When you get back home, that's the easy part, right? You know what to do. You flip on the fireplace, get on something cozy, get a drink. Nobody has to coach you how to do, go through your home. That comes natural. You go to your comfort space. You'd lo- you hug your loved ones. You hang out with them. You have a good time. So the returning part, that's when you make the, the, the big step and the faith that is required to be able, and the expertise to find your way back home. So the, one of the best visuals, depictions of this, I like is the prodigal son, and you can find that in Luke 15 uh, in your, uh, if you'd like to read the whole story. But I'm going to summarize it real quickly. Basically, there's a father, two sons, right? And um, one of the sons goes, hey, Dad, I want, I want my inheritance now before you die, which in that time is considered very offensive, and because um, I, I want to go do my own thing. So the dad gave him the money. He went off, did his own thing, and it said he did wild living. <laughs> I think our imaginations can go there, whatever that means. He did wild living. And then it said there was a famine that came throughout the land, and he became in great need. And when he became in great need, did he? this is what he did that we all do, right? Then he's going, ah, he thought a home. And here's what he was in need. He was feeding the pigs, and he was looking at the food going, this food looks really good to me. Now, that's some serious need. And he said, you know what? My, my dad's servants are, get better food than I do. So if I just go home, at least 
I don't care if he doesn't take me as a son. I get it. But at least if he takes me as a servant, I'll live better. And it said, and he came to his senses. I love that part too, because I'm like, well, I can relate. I came to my senses. So he came to his senses and it said he went back home. And here's, if you want to know how the father ever responds to us when we come back home, here it is in uh, Luke 15, 20. It says, so he returned to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion for him and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. So he had his whole little speech ready. And he wanted to basically say, I messed up. I really messed up. This brings us to the first point. I'm going to talk about five ways how to return to God. And these are just five ways. But you can do, I'm sure, a lot of many other ways yourself. But the first one is return to God through repentance. And that's what the prodigal son did. He basically said, I messed up big time. I want to come back home. Um, I'll take a lower status with you. You notice there, too, the the father, he's a better dad than me, better parent for sure, because I'd probably go, it's great to see you. Now, did you learn your lesson? You know you shouldn't have spent all that money, and you did all this wild living, and yep, you probably should be having some real problems and feeling pretty humble. How do you feel about yourself now? That's right. You live in the shed for a little while. No, he didn't do that. He immediately he ran to him. And then in some passages it says, and from, when he saw him from a long way off, which means he had been looking for him. He'd been anticipating him. He goes, when you coming home? I don't care where you've been. I don't care what you've been doing. I don't care how you've spent your money and my resources. When are you coming home? And he ran to him, kind of like that movie that I showed. And Job 22:23 it says, If you return to the Almighty, you will be restored. If you remove unrighteousness far from your tent. So basically repentance. God says, hey, you need to repent. Now, I'm not going to be the one to tell you what you need to repent for. I think that's between you and God. The things that you feel bad about in your heart, you're not at peace with, um, you haven't resolved, uh, you know that is disappointing the heart of God, you figure it out. So many times we want to be telling people, oh, you got to repent this way, you got to repent this way. We don't know people's stories. We don't know why they have to repent, and we don't know what they have to repent from. But we know when there's guilt and shame, I always say, you might want to resolve that. I can't tell you what to do with that, but the fact that that's there, it's going to be blocking you from loving relationships, not only with other people, but with God and with yourself. Secondly, return to God through praise and prayer and gratitude. God says in the, in the Bible, it says, enter into the gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. It says, seek and you shall find, knock and the door shall be answered to you. Isn't that great? I love it. There's nothing worse to consider that you're knocking on a door and it's never going to be answered. It's almost like he takes care of our abandonment needs and our rejection needs. And he says, don't worry. If you happen to knock, I don't care what you've done. I'm going to answer that door. You're not going to be left out in the cold waiting. Number three, return to God through kindness and justice. Hosea 12, 6 says, Therefore return to God, observe kindness and justice, and wait for your God continually. Kindness and justice. If you've not ever done something kind, I'm sure all of us have, but does that not just bring you closer to humanity? When you do something kind for somebody, when you let them go in front of you in a line and they smile at you, or we were driving along in the Tri-Cities, it's really nice. When I grew up in Southern Cal, people were not so nice. But we're here, it's like, oh, after you, oh, after you, and then you wave and you smile. It's, it's beautiful. I love it. It's a little piece of heaven up here. <laughs> so being kind and being just. 
justice, uh, a lot of times people get very confused. People think if they are forgiving somebody, that means that it removes the um, right or the absence of justice. I say, no, it does not. You can still forgive somebody, never reconcile with them, and still require justice. Justice is something that mirrors the heart of God. And sometimes we are called as uh, children of God to be able to implement justice on this planet. And I love some of our warriors that do that in a lot of different ways. Number four, return to God through stillness. This is my hardest one. I like to talk. I'm energetic. I always have things going on in my head. I'm very creative. Um, My husband said, no more on the businesses for a while. Actually, he didn't say that. I'm telling him, I I promise I won't start any more businesses, but I just love to create. I love to to implement different things. Uh, I have a very loud brain. And uh, so being still and actually feeling the presence of God. That can be more challenging for some than others. We also have a lot of distractions in our culture that really pull us away from being just still. If It might sound like the easiest thing to do, but for some, I think it could actually be more of the challenging. Meditating on God's word, being still. Sometimes I like to just take a verse like, well, love one another. <laughs> I have to go simple. Um, you know, be, uh, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. I have to really think about that sometimes for a week. Sometimes I just have to think of one, like three verses for hmm, several days and to think about what does it mean? And every time I read it, it has a new meaning. Even this Hosea, I've been dwelling on this probably for this last year, and I go, hey, what does that mean? Why is there saying three days and or the context of it? And, and I like to read the history and all the background of it, which I won't go into. Some of you might be bored silly on that. But I find that to be very um inspiring, intriguing, and interesting. So meditating on God's word can be very powerful as it changes and shifts your perspective in in life. Number five, return to God through generous giving. This one actually shocked me. Malachi 3, 7, and 8. This can't get any more clear. From the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from my statues, have not kept them, and you return to me. He says, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? And will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? And God says, in your tithes and offerings. I was, when I read that, I thought, that is amazing to me, is I believe in a generous spirit. I believe in being generous with not only our resources, but our lives and our relationships, our love. But actually, God says, if you feel a distance from me and you don't feel like you're home and you have a lot of conflict and a lack of peace, by the way, craziness is just considered or defined as a lack of stability. I tell people, oh, yeah, you're sounding crazy. It just means a lack of stability, okay, a lack of peace in your life. And I said, but when we don't have that, we often can get very confused about now what do I do? God says it really clearly. Just start giving. Do something loving and giving. And and it says tithes and offerings. So it really could be ta- translated as basically the, the 10% of the priests that they required back in the Jewish history. The 10%, giving that to the priests and offerings, that means above and beyond. So what are we doing? And I don't think it's just our resources, but I also think specifically our resources. What are we giving to, to support our community? Um, how are we bringing people together and healing the relationships uh, in in the lives of that that people have that God has brought in our in our lives. 
So those are five ways that I would say, hey, these are just some really concrete ways to be able to return to God. And in Second Chronicles it says, uh, but in their distress they turned to the Lord of, of Israel and they sought him and he let them find him. Again, another promise. God goes, I'm not going to leave you in the cold. I'm not going to condemn you. I don't care if you've done wild living. I don't care. Just come home. Just return to me and come home. And then here's the best part, what he'll do. The second day, it says, day two, be revived. Day two is be revived. Get some home cooking, right? Go snuggle up by the fire. Like I said before, nobody has to tell you how to be able to be revived. And again, the dad's response to the prodigal son, it says, but the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he is found. So they begin to celebrate. That's my favorite part of the whole verse. They begin to celebrate. I love good parties. Isn't that amazing? Again, there's no shaming speech. There's no condemnation going on there. It's all about let's celebrate your home. What was gone is now back. What was lost is now found. I got my kid back. We're not even perfect parents, but only thing I can imagine, if my kids came back, again, albeit they might get a little lecture at some point, but I would be so excited and ecstatic to see them. How much more would God be who is perfect, divine, who has created us, put the very breath of him in us, if he is not going to be so ecstatic that we come home? I love the picture of God running. By the way, that's the only picture in the scripture that depicts God running is in the prodigal son. And he's not like, oh, yeah, I come back. He's like running like that dad on the field. I loved it as he embraced his son. He ran to him. The best part is in coming back, and I already mentioned this several times, but we don't have to be perfect. We can be a mess. We can have things totally out of order. We can be totally nuts. We can be uh, no peace, be doing some real wild living. It doesn't matter. God says, I want you back. I'm so excited to have you. I love the song that Chris led us in in April about the 23rd Psalm. I asked Chris, I go, can you get some songs about home? I'm talking about home and everything. That was fabulous. I've never heard that before, but I want to hear it again. It was so great. But that was one of the things, too, I use a lot. I think it's a beautiful metaphor for life. And so many times I tell people, talk about, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not walk. I will, you know, he leads me beside still uh, waters and into green pastures. That all sounds nice and great, doesn't it? But then the next part, yay, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I tell my clients, I go, man, you're just dancing around the, the entrance of that valley. you got to go through it. you just got to go through it. It's the grief. It's the loss. It's the shame. It's the guilt. It's the reconciliation. It's the forgiveness. But what comes out on the other side, right, is that feast that's waiting for you, where you get to sit down in the presence of your enemies and your head gets to be anointed with oil, which is a sign of, uh, of, of royalty. Your cup overflows, which means you live in abundance, and you're eating this feast. It would be nice if we could live there all the time, <laughs> but we cannot. And you can see the journey that we have to take. We have to be still. We have to walk through the uh, the the green pastures and by the the quiet waters and through that dark valley sometimes. And then we'll be able to have our feast. And then we go on and we do what it is that God has called us to do. The third day, you're going to be restored. And I love this part too. You're going to be restored. 
I believe in two ways. One, in the presence of God. Two, restored to the vision that God has put on your life. Again, what kind of life would it be if all we're doing is sitting around eating a feast? I believe that God has made us to be his arms and his legs and his heart to people that are lost and hurting and, have, and need to find their way home. Sometimes we have to be a home to people. Sometimes the church is a home to people. Sometimes we have to be the, the ones that show the love of Christ to people. Not because we're better or we've arrived. It's just at that moment, we feel some stability. At that moment, we feel some peace. And we can offer what it is that we have. And this, if you're in a healthy community, this goes back and forth all the time. There is never people that have arrived, but we're all together on this journey at different points of it. So the third day, you get to experience restoration and enjoy the blessings of God and then be able to return to what it is that you were called to do. So there was one more son in the prodigal son story, and he I'm going to call him the resentful son. We have the wayward son and the resentful son. And the resentful son... He had a hard time. I actually can really identify with this guy. He basically says, I've been doing the right thing, and I've been going along and, and following everything that you've told me to do, and um, you never threw a feast like this for me. And here's what the father says. Do I have that up there? Yeah, my son. The father said, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But you, we have to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So you can hear the heart of God coming through again. I I cannot talk about the, the choices he's made. This is purely a time for celebration. And there is nothing to be talked about other than the fact that he was lost and he's found. And that's the only thing I'm going to put some energy on. Who do we think we are then if we can't extend that same heart to people around us? We actually think we have to lecture them. We have to tell them how to live. We have to tell them the choices they have to make. We have a right to celebrate. If people come back to relationships, reconcile in marriages, reconcile with God, reconcile with the church, our only response gets to be and needs to be, welcome home. Thanks for coming. You belong. We want to see more of you. We love you. We want to know what God is doing in your life. Help us, and we want to be able to help you on your journey as well. All right, once you've gone through that, that three-day process, like I said, the first day is always the hardest. It's the most grueling for me, at least. The next couple of days, it gets easier and easier, and I don't really even think about what's happening. Other, all the thing I know is I start to really feel at peace, and I feel excited. And the third day, I usually feel energized. And um, then I say, now make your big decision. Now, I remember Bob and Barb that I was talking about. I changed names, by the way, to protect identity. Um, after that three-day challenge... They came back. I didn't know if it was going to work for him. All I knew is it works great for me. They came back and they go, Jennifer, that was amazing. Uh, we did that and it really worked. I'm like, well, it's not my formula. <laughs> Just copying here. But I go, that's great. And they said, you know, we still have those issues and our problems in our marriage. But the love and the tenderness has been restored. And the commitment and the desire to stay reconciled and growing and loving and staying, keeping a home together has been reignited in both of us. And I said, that is fabulous. That is really, really cool. They said, we're going to use that. And I could see the love come back in their eyes. They're looking at each other. 
They're hugging each other. They're crying. They feel reconciled. But more importantly, they feel like they found their home again. Nobody, and I believe this, nobody wants to leave their home. It is too painful. But we find ourselves in circumstances that we have to by not only what is done to us or but what has happened because of some of our choices too. We find ourselves in situations where we have to leave what is familiar and comfortable because it is not a place of peace and safety for us anymore. At this church, we really want to be a place of peace and safety. We want people to feel like they belong and they're accepted. That is the heartbeat of this church. That's the heartbeat of Micah and Sarah. And that's what brought us here, too, is being able to share in, hey, how do we create a safe place that says you don't have to perform, you don't have to look this way, you don't have to act this way. You get to be at any place in your, in your journey, in your walk, and um, you get to be a mess. Our job is to celebrate and to welcome you here. One of the things that I have a little dog, Chloe, and she is just so cute. And uh, I had a little dog, Mocha, but she passed away too. I forgot that one this last year. She passed away right before the year ended. She was so, so precious. And I, I must say, the sun rose and set on me with her. She just absolutely adored me. Um, but we have a little Chloe, and she is really sweet, and she's really kind, and she absolutely loves to be held and snuggled. And she, when Jake's mother comes to visit, She's always up first thing next to my mother-in-law and wanting to be held by her. And um, when I go to, she comes, finally circles back around to me, and I go to hold her and pick her up. I can smell her, and I go, you've been with Grandma, I say knowingly. And that's how we need to be. When people get around us, they smile knowingly, and they say, you've been with Jesus. We know where you've been. They need to feel that love and that acceptance. Whether you are a wayward son or a resentful son, and wherever you're at in your journey, one of the things that we would really like to encourage you as a church is let's find our way back home, but let's do it together. And if I could summarize the Bible in one letter, I guess this is what I would say. This is what the Bible, I think, says that God is saying to us. Dear child, come home. Love, Dad. P.S. I'll come running. Thank you so much.